Well, welcome to week two of What on Earth Am I Here For? Uh, a series in which we are attempting to answer one of the most often asked questions uh, in the human race, and that is, why do I exist? Why did God make me? Why am I breathing air on the planet Earth? And it's a question that philosophers have pondered over centuries and really, in many ways, come up empty and and. It is, however, a question that there is an answer to. We, we are given an answer if we just go to the right place to find that answer. And one of the keys in answering this question is to see ourselves properly. You know that last song we sang, I hope that you believe those words. Uh, you know, they can maybe become repetitive, um, but man, God is good, and that's who he is. And you are loved by him, and, and that's who you are. That's who all of us are. Um, we need to see ourselves properly. And, and in order to see ourselves properly, we need to see ourselves as God sees us. So that's what we're going to look at today. How does God see you and me? Now, I got this story in an email this week. There was a man, he left work on Friday afternoon, and it was payday. And instead of going home, he decided, I think I'm just going to party with my friends all weekend. That's what he did. He didn't go home until Sunday night and all of his money was gone. Well, when he got into his house, his wife was livid. Uh, as you can imagine, for two hours, she let him have it. You know, where were you? Why didn't you tell me where you were? What have you been doing? Where is our money? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how would, she finally said this. How would you like it if you didn't see me for two or three days? He shot back. That would be just fine with me. Monday passed. He didn't see her. Tuesday passed. Wednesday came and went. He still didn't see her. By Thursday, the swelling in his eyes had gone down just enough <laughs> that, he could finally, that he could finally see her. Now, Matthew 6.22 in, in the message paraphrase, it says it this way. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. Now, he's not talking about physical sight there. He's talking about spiritual sight. He, he's, he's talking about seeing ourselves in a whole new way. And I, and I hope that happens in, in your life today. Uh, if you think of yourself or if you see yourself as a loser... That's probably what you're going to be in life. If you think or you see yourself as a victim, you're going to let other people victimize you in your life. If you see yourself as capable, you will, you'll do things. Uh, if you see yourself as creative, you're going to um, be engaged in activities that create things. If you see yourself as a failure in life, you know what? You're probably going to see yourself as a failure. Now, the Bible says that our beliefs shape and determine our behavior. So the way that we think determines the way that we act. And that's why Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what? Think about such things. Put those things in your head. Think about those things. Our beliefs determine our behavior. And to understand our life purpose and to understand our life calling We've got to begin with God because God is the one that created us. And there is no person that knows something better than its creator. So in order to figure out our calling, 
We need to begin and, and understand that it begins in the nature of God, in God's very nature. Now, the Bible tells us that God is love. It doesn't say that God has love, but that God is love. In, in the essence of his very nature, God is love. And we are able to love because we have been created in his image. In the image of God, we have been created. You see, snails can't love. Dogs can't love, although we kind of think they do. Cows can't love. People can. Why? Because we were the one being that God created in his own image. Ephesians 1 4 through 5, begins in this way. For he chose us in him, that's in Jesus Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before God created anything, he had you and me in his mind. He had already chosen us and had already chosen to love us. He made the universe so that he could make the earth, so that he could create things on it, so that he could then create you and me and put us in the midst of what he created. And if God hadn't wanted to love you, you know what? All of that other stuff wouldn't have happened. It wouldn't have needed to be created. Uh, He goes on at the end of verse 4, in love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. It says right there that his unchanging plan has always been to one day bring us into his family, that we would be a part of God's family from the beginning of time to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this plan of his, the Bible says, gave him what? Pleasure. It gave him pleasure in accordance with his pleasure and his will. The Bible says that we are planned that you were planned and that you were planned for God's pleasure and that the reason we're alive today is that God made us to love us. God didn't need our love. He he was perfectly content within the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, enjoying a relationship with himself. He did not need us, but he created us so that he could love us. But now that's all background, right? I mean, you know that, right? Or or do you? Uh, Maybe that's something that you know in your head, but it hasn't traveled the 18 inches and settled in your heart yet. And, and that needs to be true. Because this purpose, this truth from God's word, will absolutely change how you live your life and how you think about life every day. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at five ways God is calling on our life, what, what his calling is, what our purpose in it is, is for living. And this morning, number one, it's in your notes right there, the first purpose of my life is to be loved by God. Have you ever thought of it that way? That, that, that God created you to love you, that that's a purpose of your life that you have on this planet? Um, Contrary to popular belief, God didn't create us in the first place to do things, to do something. He created us in the first place to receive something, and that was his love. And I think if we understand this truth, that that it will revolutionize our life. And and many who who are watching today, or you're listening today, or you're here with us this morning, um, 
maybe you've never really got this. You've never really understood this. And, and my prayer for you is that, that this just transforms your life. You see, we were made to be a receptacle, a receiver, a benefactor of God's love. Now, let that sink in for a little bit. I, I want to say it again because we need to get this. Your first duty in life as a human being is not to do something. It's not to do something. It's not to learn. It's not to listen. It's not to pray. It's not to give. It's not to sacrifice. It's not to serve. Now, all of those are good things, and we do those things in, in our life, but they're not the first purpose that God created us for. He created us to receive his love, to just let God love us. If you ever got up in the morning and thought, you know what? I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to let God love me. I'm going to just experience that. That's generally not how we start the day. We generally start the day with, okay, God, what can I do for you today? I mean, that's how I start the day. Now, this, this idea um, that, that our purpose is to be loved by God, it's taught throughout the Scripture. Uh, anyone ever read the book of Jude? Have you ever heard of the book of Jude? It's only 25 verses. Uh, many people haven't read it. It's the second to the last book in the Bible. Uh, right before Revelation. But there, uh, there's a lot of profound truth in it. And in Jude chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Now, just look at that, and, and I want to pause for a moment here, and, and I want to tell you that, that I think that is one of the most humble statements ever recorded and ever written in Scripture. And you might think to yourself, well, how, how is that a really humble statement? I mean, yeah, you know, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. But you see, he leaves out a teensy-weensy little fact. Um, he could say, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James and half-brother to Jesus Christ himself to those who have been called who are loved. You see, Jude um, was a son of Mary and Joseph. And some of you may be like, whoa, wait a minute. You mean they had other children? Yes. Um, Mary... Um, supernaturally, by the Holy Spirit, conceived Jesus Christ. He was born, and then later on in life, they had more children. James was one of those children. Jude was one of those children. And I, and I believe they had some sisters as well. But of all the people in the Bible who could drop a name, Jude was one of them, right? You know that Jesus Christ guy? You know, the superstar who came and changed the universe? I'm related to him. Yeah, that's not what he said. No, he said, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, a brother of James, to those who have been what? There's that word again. Called. Who are what? Loved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. I mean, it just is amazing to me. See, we're, we're called to live in the love of God the love of God the Father and the care of Jesus Christ. Now, here's something that maybe we all know in our head, but, uh, but we need to continue to, to keep this in, in the forefront of us, is that Christianity is not a religion. Um, I, I have somebody ask me at least once a week, so what religion are you? And, and 
you know, that can mean one of two things. You know, the difference between Christianity and Islam and Buddhism and some other things. <laughs> Sometimes in people's minds, it's like, so what religion are you? And it's like, are you Catholic? Are you Baptist? Are you, well, it's not really a religion. I mean, it can be in, in each individual. That's a denomination. Um, but we try to make it a religion about rules and regulations and rituals, but but it's not those things. Jesus said it's about a relationship. It's this connection that you have with me and that I have with you because God is love and he wants us to experience his love. Now, what kind of relationship does God want you to have with him? Well, have you thought about that? What, what is this relationship like in a familial aspect? Well, God wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. He wants you in his family. That's the word that, that that's the, the words that he uses to, to describe it. He, he uses adoption language when he talks about us coming to faith in Christ. A- adopting us into his family with full rights of a natural born child. God wants us to be his sons and his daughters. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 7. He says, I am writing to all of you in Rome, and this is what you are, he says. Um, You are loved by God, and you are called to what? Be his own holy people. So our first purpose is to be loved by God. The relationship God created you for is to be his son or his daughter. Now, now to me, that is one of the most amazing truths there is. I mean, to be the son or daughter of the creator of the universe? Are you kidding me? How good is that? And we're told in Scripture... The king of kings, the Lord of lords, doesn't want you to be his slave or his servant or his soldier, but he, he says time and time again that he wants us to be his daughter or his child. Look at 1 John 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. We sang a song about that, that, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. That is what we are in Christ Jesus. You are a son. You are a daughter of the most holy God. My prayer for everyone this week has been, uh, everyone who's listening or watching today has been from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning of verse 17, and it says this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, to understand, to experience how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses anything that's in your head, but to know it, to experience it, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So really quick, four things. How, how, long, how wide is God's love? Well, it's, it's wide enough to be everywhere. Everywhere. It fills the whole universe. There is no place on this planet that God isn't. There is no place in the universe that he isn't. It, it, it's on a hillside where a cowboy and his horse sit. It's in the bar where a bunch of people are drunk. It's in the place where the poorest of the poor are There is no place where God's love is not present. 
How deep is God's love? It's deep enough to handle anything. You know, no matter what pain you're going through or what problem you're going through or what hurt you have in your life, God's love is deeper still. You, you may be thinking, man, I'm in the pits. I mean, I have hit the bottom. There, I'm just looking up, laying on my back, looking up. I'm in the pit of despair. You know, it doesn't matter. God's love goes deeper than the pit you're in. It goes deeper and lower than any problem you might have. It's deep enough to handle anything. Wow, I just did two different ones right there, didn't I? Yeah. Will, thanks for your honesty. Appreciate it. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this real quick. How long is God's love? Actually, I just skipped that one, didn't I? Okay. All right. I shouldn't have said anything. You wouldn't even have noticed. Um, so how wide is God's love? It's, it's, it's wide enough to be everywhere. How deep is God's love? It's deep enough to handle anything. How long is God's love? It's long enough to last forever. It's never going to end. God's love never wears out. He, 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 he never grows tired or his love is not fickle like ours. Our love is pretty fickle. Our love can be, um, our love can be, what's the word I want? Conditional. Not God's. God will never, 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 never stop loving you. Breaks his heart when somebody dies not having surrendered their life to him, I bet. He loves them. Even if you choose to reject him, God will still love you because his love is eternal. He made you to love you. God loves you with an everlasting love. And then there's one more that I didn't get into the notes. And and this one I want you to add. How high is God's love? Listen to this. God's love is so high. It's, It's high enough to overcome any fault that you might have any mistake that you might ever make, it's, it's that high. God, God overcomes our faults and our failures. He overcomes our sin, our rebellion. That's why Jesus came and died. That's what had to be done, and he was willing to do it. God offers forgiveness to us, and he offers you a fresh chance to start over. You know, you could be here this morning or listening online, and your life is a total mess and wreck. And you might think to yourself, there's no way God could ever forgive me or love me. You're wrong. He absolutely does. Because his love is so high. He, he gave up heaven to come rescue you. You don't think he has, the, number one, the power to and the willingness to forgive and, and uh, extend his grace and mercy to you. Now, here's the question. How would your life be different? How would... would you getting up in the morning, what would it look like differently if you completely and totally understood God's unconditional, continuous, and never-ending love? I mean, as parents, we hope that our children understand that, but there's sometimes we sort of wonder if they really do, because, you know, there are those times where we have to be kind of strict and harsh with them, and we have to discipline them, and, and they say things, and they act out because of that, but we're only doing that because we love them. And, and why do we even have kids? Right? Isn't that an interesting answer, Garrett? Because um, 
I don't, I don't know. There are different reasons why people, I think, have children. Uh, regardless of the reason why we have children, what, what, what do we want to do as parents for our children? We want to not just love them, but we want them to understand and to live their life in a way that they experience our love, right? I think, I, I think that's, you know, God's relationship with us, it's the same way. We, we choose, some of you kids, you don't know how true this statement is, we choose to love you every day. <laughs> we do. We do. And we want what's best for you. And then God's no different. What, what an amazing thing to understand that God loves us unconditionally, totally. How, if we were aware of that every day of our life at every moment, how do you think your life would be different than mine? Or how do you think your life would be different? How do I think my life would be different? I, I want to give you five ways that, that I think our lives would be different and can be different when we understand and experience this purpose, number one, that God created us, you, to love you. This is, that, this is the effects that that has in, in your life and in mine. First of all, we would simply receive God's love. We would simply receive God loves, God's love. What, what happens when we learn to become aware all the time? Well, there's no moment in my life where I don't understand and believe that God's love for me is unconditional. Completely and totally, deeply and eternally. Uh, we would feel accepted rather than shamed, right? Ashamed. If we knew every second of every day that he loved us no matter what. We just simply need to receive God's love. There are people that go their entire life avoiding God because every time they come near him, they feel ashamed. They feel guilty. They feel like there's no way they could be forgiven. That's so wrong. It, it's so wrong. Because God is love. People feel under condemnation. They feel judged. They feel criticized. They think God is a perfect God and I am not so perfect. So why in the world would I want to hang out with the perfect God and feel this way? But we need to be reminded. Here's the thing Jesus said. Jesus said this. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to what? Save it. I came to save it. Romans 5 verse 1 says that by faith we have been made acceptable acceptable by God, acceptable to God. And now because of our Lord Jesus Christ, we live in peace with him. That's, That's a whole lot different than being fearful and feeling guilty every day, isn't it? We've been made acceptable by Jesus Christ himself. And because of that, God accepts me completely, totally, unconditionally. And he feels the same way about you. Now, the reason that this is so important is because it sets us free from the addiction that we have to approval. What are some of the, what are some of the first words other than mommy and daddy? Do, do kids learn as they grow up? Um, they do this constantly as soon as they're able to do something, as soon as they're able to perform something. What do they say? Hey, watch me, Daddy. 
Watch me, Mom. Why? Why do they do that? What do they want from us? They want us to say, great job. Way to go. Woohoo. And and almost unintentionally, that begins to feed into this addiction that we have to approval. And it and it and it and it works its way out all throughout our life. If you if you are an owner of a business, if you if you work for someone, what whatever your career, remember we talked about that last week, there's a difference between your calling and your career or your job, but in your job, what honestly are you searching for by the end of the day? Approval. We cannot translate that to our relationship with God because there is it, there's no way we can earn his approval. It's just given to us because he loves us. And, and if we understood that God, who's the most important being in, in the universe, his, his word, his voice, his, um, his place is really what's important. You know, all of the other people in our life, that's all kind of secondary. You know, Joe down the street doesn't like how long I cut my grass. Too bad. I don't have to earn his approval. You know, it'd be nice if I would cut it once in a while, but, you know, I mean, um, there's people in Lingle that have already mowed their lawns like three times. I just keep looking at it, and it keeps getting taller and taller. <laughs> you know, we, we talk the way that we do. We dress the way that we do. We many times act the way that we do, especially true in middle school and high school. Why? To seek the approval of others to get accepted by them. We need to back out of that, and we need to say, you know what? (laughs) I am loved unconditionally by the creator of the universe. And I know this is totally easier said than done because I struggle with it every day of my own life. But it's true. It is so true. There are times when we need to be willing to say, you know what? (laughs) Honestly, I... I don't need your approval. I don't. I mean, we can do that gently or just not say anything at all, but think that, right? That'd probably be the smart thing to do. But God loves us unconditionally. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, of course, Paul just explained a bunch of stuff. That's what the therefore is there. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. All of this approvals business and all of this, the, the, the really, you know, trying to earn God's approval by following laws and rules and commands and that sort of thing. I mean, we need to do those things, but not to seek his approval. That, that is, that's law stuff. That's sin and death stuff. But there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None! Wow, if I could only get that into my thick head. You know, if God says his chosen ones are acceptable to him, and he has, can anyone bring charges against them? The answer is no. Or can anyone condemn them? No. Does criticism really matter? No. Because we're accepted rather than ashamed. Now, that's a big one. I mean, if, if we could just get that one today, I think that would be so huge in every one of our lives. 
But, you know, being a pastor, there's four more. So um, there's four more things that I want to go over. Number two is this. I am bold in bringing my needs to God. I am bold in bringing my needs to God. Um, I'm bold in my prayers. Why? Because I'm a, I'm a son of God. I'm his child. I'm a part of his family. So I have no problem going to him and saying, God, I need this, or I want this, or, or, or can you fix this, or can you change this? Now, that's not to say that he's going to do all of those things. Because, I mean, how many of our children come to us and say, Dad, I want this, and I want this, and could you do this for me, and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and as our child's parent, we try to make the best decision to, that, that won't enable them, but, but help them to grow up to be a, a responsible adult one day who will then themselves teach their children the same things. You know, when my kids were little, they would come to me and they would ask me for things, right? I mean, don't your kids do that? What's the number one thing kids ask for, it seems? Money, right? It doesn't matter where you are, right? A basketball game, a baseball game, at home, uh, the week before prom. Hey, Dad, Mom, um, I need some money. And I think when our kids are little, they assume that we have everything, that we know everything, and that we could provide them with everything. Now, you know that that's true, and of course, I know that that's true. But with God, it is true. He has everything. It's all his in the first place. He can give anything. And, and that's what's so amazing about this. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you should not be cowering like fearful slaves. No, no, no. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family. God adopted us into his family. And then he concludes that, that verse saying, calling him Father, dear Father. And I love that phrase, Father, dear Father. You know, once, once a week I'm reminded of this verse because um, Pastor Michael, whenever he starts a prayer, he always says, Abba. Now, he's not talking about a Swedish rock group, okay? Which, when I read that illustration, I actually had to listen to some this week. It was kind of strange, but... Um, no, uh, you see, Abba is the word in the Middle East in almost all of the Semitic languages for daddy. And it's easy to say Abba or Papa or Daddy if you know that you're the son or the daughter of someone. It's the first word that we want our children to say, right? It's a sort of a battle between mom and dad. Say daddy, say mama, say daddy, say mama. Yeah, he said daddy first. Probably didn't happen in my household, but anyway. Um, Abba simply means daddy, and the Bible says that when we come to God in prayer, that that's who he is. He is our daddy. He is our papa. He is our father, dear Father, and, and you don't come to him with some fancy phrase. You know, if my kids came to me and, and they, they were looking for some money and they said, Oh, thou most gracious progenitor of the Anderson family, thou wonderful observer and keeper of all the family funds, I'd go, Who, who are you and what have you done with my child? Right? 
No, no. What do they say? Dad, can I have some money? Usually it's, hey, Dad, you have any money? That's followed by a quick, can I have some, right? But, but God is just saying, look, you're a child of mine, and you get an all-access pass. Come to me as, as my son or my daughter. You're in. Anytime you want to talk to me, pick up the phone. Talk to me. Talk to me in prayer 24 hours a day. And when we understand that, that we were created to be loved by God and that he is our father and that we, is, we are his son and daughter unconditionally and eternally, then we come to him in confidence and we do just that. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace. Okay, what does that mean? That means let us come to the Lord in prayer. Let us approach the throne of grace with what? Confidence. Confidence. Not fear. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. When? In our time of need. You need to be bold in your prayer. You're a son. If, if, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you are a daughter to the Most High God. You have been adopted into his family. He says, you can ask anything in my name. So we feel accepted rather than ashamed, and we're bold in bringing our needs to him when we understand how much he loves us. Number three, when I understand God's unconditional and un- loves me unconditionally and I experience it, not just know it in my head, I have peace in pain that I don't understand. I have peace in pain that I don't understand. And, and, and I think there's two sides of that statement. Because there's that pain that you don't understand. There's, there's that hurt that you get that you kind of question, what is going on here and why is this happening to me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and we know that, that even in the midst of something that we don't know, we can have peace because, because we are a son or daughter of the child of God. And, and then there's that peace in, in the midst of that pain that some people look at you like if, if you have a son or daughter or a parent that, that dies in a tragic way and, and you just, it's, it's not like you're not hurting and it's not like you're not suffering, but there's just this sense of peace about you and people look at you and go, where is that coming from? How can you be that way? It's a peace that passes all understanding, right? Scripture talks about it. I've experienced it. Many, many people that I have talked to have experienced that kind of peace. And that comes from knowing that you are loved by God and were created by a God who wants to love you unconditionally and completely. Philippians 4.7 says this. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That's peace. And I have walked through things with people who don't know that peace. They've never experienced that peace. And it breaks my heart because I just think, how can I communicate to you and how can I get you to understand that there's a, there's the creator of the universe that loves you and, and that, that, if, you would, that you, if you would believe, because you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ was Lord, that you would begin to understand and experience this peace that so many of us 
sort of take for granted at times, I think. I mean, there's times where I just, I'm just like, I just, you know, parents, there are times when we wish our kids would just get it, right? You know, we know the answer to their problem. And we wish we could just tell them and then they would just do what we tell them and then everything would be fine. Because we know it would be if they would just do what we tell them. I mean, I, I experience that often with people. How, how can I, I mean, I can tell you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I, I think that's true in this situation as well. But, but that drink would be, oh, so good. If they would just, if they would just drink it. But as a son or daughter, we have drank from the well that has living water in it. Number four, the fourth thing that happens when I know that I'm totally loved by God is I gain the courage to take risks. I love this point. Whether that means um, saying yes to being a missionary in Africa, in a war-torn country, and you know that God is saying, go there, I want you to go there, and just being willing to take that risk, box everything up, put it in a shed, and walk away for a year, whatever that looks like. But being willing to say yes to God, even though it's a risk, because we know that he loves us and he wouldn't call us to something that wasn't his desire. I don't want to say that wasn't good because, I mean, it would be good, but we may die on a trip like that and people in our family may say, well, what a waste of a life. He should have known. He shouldn't have done that. But if we're in the center of God's will and that happens, hey, seriously, I mean, heaven, right? I mean, that's good. The fifth thing that happens when we understand the unsurpassed, unconditional love of God in our life is, is I worship instead of worry. I worship instead of worry. Now, I want to go back to the previous one first, and I want to say this. You know, maybe, maybe you're, you're listening to this message, and you know, I don't care if you're 15 or if you're 50, or if you're 95, God, God is saying this. You, you may have really messed up in your life. I mean, really screwed up. Um, there may not be any people that have made bigger mistakes than you as you look at your own life. Here's what I think God is saying to you. Uh, you may really have messed up royally, and it just flat out wasn't good enough. Maybe you gave it your best shot, and if you're really honest with yourself, you're disappointed in your own life and you're afraid that God is too. But here's what, here's what I think God does. He comes alongside of us. If, if we step back and we say, Lord, look, I need you, please. We come to him with confidence and we say, we take a risk and, and in, we quit trying to fix it ourselves and we say, God, would you do this thing? And I think, I think what he tends to say to us is it's okay. It's okay. And you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to walk with you. Really, that's better anyway. I'm going to walk with you through this. He says, I forgive you about the mistakes and the bad decisions and all of that when we come to him in repentance. And he says, you know what? You can start over. I'll help you starting today. 
And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you, maybe you need to just turn away from, from bad decisions that you've made in your life. But you need to understand that he's standing right there saying, you know what, I love you. And I forgive you. I worship instead of worry. So what is worship? Worship is, is, is expressing our love to God. Anytime we say, um, God, I love you, that's worship. Um, it, worship is a response. Really, it's a response to God's love for us. Now, you can worship in a small group. You can worship in a church building. You can worship in a church service. You can worship driving down the road, hanging your head out the window, listening to the radio. Anytime you express love to God, you're worshiping. And it's important to remember and understand how much God loves us because when we do, then we, if we don't do that, we're going to panic instead of pray. And we need to pray and not panic. Or we're going to worry instead of worship. Or we're going to look at our problem and we're going to focus on the problem instead of God. Jesus said this, don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. He'll give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Ah, if I could live that out, it would be wonderful. Today's trouble is enough for today. This promise, that verse right there, is why we're doing what on earth am I here for? (laughs) Now, I don't care how old you are, it's not too late to make the start over again. I mean, have you ever blown it? Have you ever blown it publicly? We see that on the news here lately, right? Sometimes I feel sorry for people because they just make a mistake, right? I mean, especially famous people. They make a mistake, they do something dumb. And then it's like they have the whole weight of the whole world and all of the media engines or the, the social media engines out there against them. It's no, it's no wonder why the suicide rate continues to just go up and up and up in our culture. We can, we can be so harsh on people, but we need to know that our Heavenly Father says, I'm here, and I love you unconditionally. I absolutely love you unconditionally. And for some of you and some of um, here and watching right now at this moment, maybe God has been waiting for this moment today for a while. He's been, he's been uh, just waiting for you to, to get this, to understand this for the first time. That you would understand and experience, even maybe in a small way, or maybe you're experiencing it in a large way today. There's just this incredible sense of gratitude and thankfulness and, and emotion that's welling up inside of you that, that, that I am a son or daughter of, of the creator of the universe, and he loves me unconditionally. <sighs> Nobody knows what will make your life better than God does. Nobody knows it better than him. Um, maybe today's the moment where you let go of fear. Look up on the screen. First John 4.18 says this, There is no fear in love, 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Let's experience the love of God. Let's trust it. Let's not be afraid. When love comes to the front door of your life, fear goes out the back door. We need to stop being afraid of God and we need to receive his love. We need to live our purpose. Look at John 1, verse 12, I think. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Let's pray. And as I pray, if, if my prayer expresses your heart as well, just in the way that you can, repeat, repeat what I say in, in your mind. Um, Father, I, I am so amazed at how much you love me. Thank you that your love for me is wide enough to be everywhere I go, wherever I find myself. Thank you that your love for me is long enough that it lasts forever, Father, that you will never tire of my failings and you'll never stop loving me. Thank you that your love for me is deep enough to handle all of those problems. And Lord, you know that Many of those things have been painful and hard and have left scars, but I know that there's no depth of hurt that you can't heal, that you aren't below. And Father, thank you that your love is high enough to forgive me for all those things. all the mistakes, those times when I turned from you and I did my own thing. Thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made. And God, I want to, I want to feel, I want to experience that acceptance rather than, than the shame that I feel or have been feeling. I want to be bold in bringing my needs to you. And I pray that you would help me to understand that and realize that. I, I need that peace that passes understanding. I want to have peace, even in pain that I don't understand. And I need your love to give me the courage to take risks. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a, a call that you've put on my life. Help me to know it, to take a risk. And Jesus, as best as I know, I surrender every particle and room of my life to you. I, I want to learn to love you back because you love me so much and I, I, I want to worship you instead of worry. Father, help us to let go. Help us to let you. Help us to fight against the, the addiction to acceptance and approval. And Father, help us to spend the rest of our life with 
that first calling of letting you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. The ushers are going to come forward and collect our morning offering and